0: everyone. I'm Bob Wozniak, the director of the Respect Life office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We'll hear a personal story from someone deeply affected by that issue. And finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This week, we're talking about the role of men in the pro-life movement. As always, we have a special guest. Will you please introduce yourself?
1: My name is Deacon Nathan Byersdorfer. And I'm uh, assigned to St. Cecilia Parish in Oakley. Also work up here at Moeller High School in Montgomery. It's from where I'm uh, talking today. And also a husband and father of three children.
0: All right. So, Deacon Nathan, you know, before we get started, so what are your kids and what are their ages? You want to share that with us?
1: Yeah, sure. We've got a, a daughter who's five and her name's Mary. And we've got a son who's four. His name is Jude. And we've got a son who just turned one. His name is Damian.
0: My kids are nine and 12 right now. but uh, So you have little young children, so that's awesome. So the pro-choice movement, as they call it, right, it's often couched in terms of being about women's rights. And for that reason, a lot of pro-life people feel like women are best positions to counter that argument. But I would argue that men have an important role as well. Do you want to expand on what the man's role is in this movement?
1: I think the man's role is equally important as the woman's role. I mean, that goes back to Genesis. It goes back to the partnership that our Lord wants for us as man and woman in this world. And, you know, to exclude the man's voice is just to, it's a detriment to women, I think. To me, it just leaves someone alone. They say, okay, this is only going to be your decision and we're not going to include anyone else in it. To me, that's just very isolating I think the whole point of our relationships need to be partnership and helping one another. and that's what our Lord designed us for. And so just at its very basic level, goodness, we need to we need to be together on this on this thing, especially this thing.
0: You know, we have a post-abortive ministry, right? Women who are post-abortive. And of course, I work a lot with crisis pregnancy centers as well. So I have heard from countless women probably who have been in situations where they were either considering an abortion or even they had their abortion, right? And the father of that child said something to them like, well, this is your decision and I'm behind you, whatever decision you make. Something like that. Something that our culture would tell us is a very supportive sounding thing to make, but according to these women, when, when he said it's your decision to make, that right there, what they hear is, I'm alone in this decision. Even if it's followed by, and I'll support whatever that decision is, right? That doesn't sound the same as the, let's talk about this. <laughs> right? I, I'm willing to be the father, right, of this child to take the role of the father of this child. The difference that that conversation would have had right, in the isolation that the woman often feels. And that's a reality of women who have gone through abortions or women who have gone through crisis pregnancies and even have chosen to keep that child. That speaks a lot to what you're talking about, how there's not just one person in this decision about abortion. Do you want to add any other comments or thoughts to that perspective that women often share who have had abortions?
1: Yeah, it goes to that Radical individualism that you referred to in our culture, that all the decisions about me are are only mine. And that's just impossible. It doesn't work in real life. I mean, even just regards to like any decision we make, we're always impacting other people, Um, whether it's a good decision or a bad decision. you know, sin is a corporate thing. So every little thing that we think we're doing in private, we're actually uh, the ripple effect is tremendous. And what a supportive thing for a man to be right beside the woman, not with a decision to kill a child, but to. To be there, I mean, that's that's what we need to be talking about is for men is taking responsibility for their actions and supporting women in, in these decisions to bring a child into the world. And then what are we going to do with this great gift? I think that's the other, that's the other thing that is so troubling about this is that we are just all about this radical personal freedom. And we kind of forget the fact that the best things come when they're least expected from our Lord. He wants to give us a gift, and maybe he has given us a gift already, and we're just going to terminate it before we even find out what was in store for us, because we're so afraid. And oftentimes, it's not its not our fault that we're afraid. It's it's, our, its the situation that we're in. You know, having worked in that Pregnancy Center West in the men's ministry over there, we saw every day how desperate people are and how the decision that they're making isn't one because necessarily their inconvenience it's that they're just terrified, and they don't know what to do if they were to bring another child. They can't afford it or whatever. And so to have another person, a man there with a woman, supporting her and saying, I don't care what this looks like, but we're going to do it together, boy, that's what we need to be doing.
0: So Deacon Nathan, you were talking about the men's ministry at Pregnancy Center West. Pregnancy Center West is one of the great pregnancy care centers we have in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. So you started a men's ministry there. You helped with that. Tell us about that ministry.
1: The men's ministry at the Pregnancy Center West kind of came out of another miracle in, in our life, my wife and I you know, we tried to get pregnant for five years after getting married and it was tremendously difficult. And we ended up discerning the adoption route and prayed our little Mary into existence. And that story in and of itself was just amazing. Everything that went into her coming into our life. But then after that, we wanted to, I just felt this call this on, on our hearts. Like we've got to give back to this ministry, you know, this adoption. And our agent kind of put us in touch with Nicole over at Pregnancy Center, who was the ED at the time. And, She said, hey, I don't need anything right now, but I think they do. And so I called Nicole and she's like, hey, we're in the early throes of trying to start a men's ministry, which would mean we need guys to come here and talk to the guys who sometimes come in with their women for counseling. And so the way she described it, they would have women come in for an appointment, whether it was to talk about material assistance or to get an ultrasound or whatever, And the guys would be sitting there in the lobby twirling their thumbs. You know, they don't know what to do. They're just being supportive. What a missed opportunity to get in touch with those guys and and affirm them and bring them along in this journey and also help them with some assistance, whatever it may be. And so early on, we kind of got this thing together with the help of some other guys. I think there was five or six of us at the beginning who were kind of the original mentors. We had a list of about 40 guys who Nicole had garnered over the time she was kind of discerning this program of men, of clients who were interested in starting. She had this phone list and she said, just start calling these people. And And they started coming in and we would sit with them. We would watch videos. We would talk with them. Some of them needed help finding a job. Some of them just needed someone to tell them that they were worth anything. Because what the theme was is these guys also, the hope was very low. You could just tell, like nobody had told them anything good about themselves for ages. So they just needed somebody to be with them and, and give them a little boost so that they could give either their spouse or their girlfriend or whatever it was a boost also. And so that took off pretty well for a couple of years, but then it started to wane a little bit. I don't know if it was just a cyclical thing or what, but I think we were kind of running out of things to offer, you know, to kind of incentivize people to come in. And I think the economy played a big role in it because a lot of times guys were just working. They just couldn't come in to the appointments that they had set. They just which is a good thing you know, but the, the program runs in different kinds of cycles. Seminarians from the Athenaeum were helping a lot with the program. It was just, it's a very good thing. And I know they have a very robust men's ministry over at Pregnancy Center East also, which is right near my parish. So we kind of engage those folks over there to kind of learn what would be a good way to set it up. But that's a little bit about that ministry.
0: I don't know if we need to share this, but uh, I spoke with Abby Johnson, the famous former Planned Parenthood worker. She wrote that book that became a movie called Unplanned. She's a, if, if, Listeners perhaps don't know she's an ardent pro-life speaker now, talking about her experiences of her conversion, having worked for Planned Parenthood in the past. Anyway, she she shares the story being a one someone who's praying and as a sidewalk advocate outside of a abortion center. And one day, a woman was coming in, and she had a man with her, and she spoke with that man, and she said to that man. You know, what your girlfriend needs to hear right now is that you support her and that and that we can do this, right? That you're ready to be, if she wants to be, you're ready to be a father. You know, not telling her what to do, but if you simply send that message, I'm ready to be a father if you're ready to do this together. Instead of the message that I shared earlier in this was that I'm with you no matter what you decide, which really has a different connotation in that message. And he took that message to heart. He went in there and apparently he said that to her and they walked out together deciding not to have that abortion. So it can be A big difference that one makes by encouraging the men who are the fathers of these children when these women are in some crisis pregnancies to show how they can be supportive and how they can make the difference. And I'm sure these men's mentoring programs that we have at various pregnancies care centers make a big difference as well. If men do their job, if men respect women, if men respect the beauty of the marital act, if men respect the life that they are responsible for creating, then... Women probably wouldn't be using the same language of saying, this is my body and this is what I need to do because part of the reason why they feel that way is because men aren't doing their part right in respecting them in the first place and making them understand that we can be with them. So, So how can we as men encourage other men to have the proper role in the pro-life movement?
1: I think as with anything, our chief role as men, as husbands and as fathers can be one of a modeling role and you know that's that's for anything we do as christians as catholic christians if we're trying to change behavior we're trying to influence society gosh i struggle with this so much i talked to my own dad about it a lot you know i love that it's a wonderful life movie there's a scene in there the young uh, george bailey is in the store and he's got a problem you know mr gowers put the poison in the capsules and he's like well how he's not listening to me what do i what do i do he looks over at that sign that says ask dad he knows <laughs> and then he goes and runs and, and talks to his dad I just love that. It just came to mind.
0: I just saw that movie again recently myself, how George yeah. Bailey saw that sign and reminded himself he needs to ask dad, right? And how we can as fathers be role models for our sons uh, yeah. and daughters, but maybe it was so that they do ask us.
1: <laughs> right, because this being such a big issue just like anything with our faith you know, as we see the culture kind of going the opposite way of, of life and going into to death and almost every time you turn on the TV, every time you do anything, you see that the culture is doing the opposite of what we should be doing. And we get discouraged. You know, I get discouraged as a deacon when I'm trying to think of how to talk to people, how to preach to people. I get discouraged as a dad thinking, gosh, I'm training up my kids for a world that's kind of going to be alien for them. So I think to in order to not be discouraged, it's easiest. And this is what my dad was telling me. Don't try to eat the whole elephant. This isn't your responsibility. You know, like God's put you in a place to be a model, to be an example for other people. And that's what I think we can do as husbands and fathers more than anything, is just to live a good life and try to be as as holy as possible, as holy as you can live virtuously. And other people look at that and they say, boy, I want to be like that. And, you know, hopefully you train your children that way. And, you know, the other thing that is probably good for men to do that maybe isn't done so much anymore is to take on some sort of mentoring relationship with another younger man that can be a confirmation sponsor you being that person's confirmation sponsor or something like that, anything to develop a relationship. If you don't have a son of your own, or if you don't have someone to influence in that way, just to be able to do that and to actively seek out that role of, of mentoring someone in the way that they should go.
0: But I always like to ask the question, how can we get involved? How can we do something about this problem? And one of those ways, which was already talked about, was you can either be part of a men's mentoring program at your local pregnancy care center, or if there isn't one, perhaps you can even start, you know, said said program. If someone feels so moved to do that, since you have done it, how would you suggest that one would go about trying to start, help a pregnancy care center start a men's mentoring program?
1: That's a great question. Starting a men's mentoring program at a pregnancy center would be to, you know, contact that person, that director of that center, and to just see if they have a need. I think the parishes can also be a hub of pro-life activity for men. You know, starting even just a prayer group, we cannot discount the importance of our prayer in this activity. And something we did at St. Cecilia around the same time as we did this men's mentoring program at Dub was we started something called the Brotherhood of the Holy Rosary, which I don't remember exactly what was going on at the time, but it was it was a tumultuous time and things looked pretty dismal for our efforts in pro-life and with the church and with our teachings, moral teachings in the world. And so a couple of guys got together and we said, we just need to get the men of our parish to come together and pray the rosary once a month. That's just what we started to do. And it's still going on. It's been, gosh, it's been five, six years since we started it. And every single first Saturday, we're together. We're out along Madison Avenue there, very busy road in the morning. Just praying and offering our intentions. And most of our intentions revolve around those sorts of issues. And we know we're doing good in the world. And that's just something that, you know, every parish should have a group of guys getting together and influencing other men through their prayer and through their works.
0: And that's an excellent point. You know, not only is prayer very powerful, of course, in of itself, but also it can also lead to being all, more open to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit prompting you in what it is that you're being called to do. Who knows what the Holy Spirit has in mind for you? And if we're regularly praying and joining with other men's in prayer, then we might be more receptive to hearing what it is that the Holy Spirit is guiding us to do in addition to continuing to pray. Do you have any other suggestions, right, for how it is that men can get more involved in the pro-life movement?
1: I think the pro-life movement is so broad that it encompasses almost anything you can think of in our culture, right? Even the things that we consume on a regular basis, or we allow to be consumed in our homes, the kind of music that's listened to, I think a lot of times, and I'm, I was guilty of this for years, just not really caring what I was listening to. And Not realizing what it was doing into my brain, you know, as a teenager or whatever, or what you're looking at. Porn is a huge problem, obviously for men right now and for women, but how can we discount the effects that that has on our unwillingness to then step into our role as a husband? And so just to do our best to kind of get all that stuff out, like reject it. You know, the culture wants us to listen to this music and it wants us to watch this and it wants us to have it constantly on and in our face. And that's for our children. That's for our brothers that we work with. Could be anybody that, you know, just our influence on, hey, maybe that's not so great and here's why. Maybe, and a lot of times people just aren't even paying attention. They're not realizing the insidious nature of some of what the culture is putting into our brains. And if we're only able to just kind of turn some of that off, it goes back to what you were saying, Bob, about listening and discerning the spirit. We can't do that without silence. You know, as Cardinal Sarah said in his book, The Power of Silence. And as many other saints have said, we are called to have those moments and we can't do it when we're constantly distracted. So I think the pro-life movement could be benefited by just us turning stuff off that's bad and and spending more time in prayer. You know, that's how we're going to impact the culture. And that's what's going to also then impact the pro-life movement.
0: All right. So Deacon Nathan, we, we started to touch on this. We were talking mostly from the perspective of what we can do. And this is extremely important of how we should be better role models in our own lives. Right. Of what men should be. Right. And treat of respecting women and being good fathers and being role models to our sons and daughters on and the importance of chastity and all those important things. But if we're face to face with a pro-choice person and that and their primary argument is a man shouldn't be telling a woman what she can do with her own body that's the argument right what might our response be to that
1: that response is usually a very difficult one because it's posed from a position of very you know this radical individualism again but if if we if we're being honest what we're talking about is an act that took two people to create the child to begin with so there's two people involved there it's not just the one and so when we're coming from there then we realize an act of murder would then include three people you know that would include the 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 mother, and the father, and the child being killed. And so there are a lot of people affected when, when we're talking about abortion. And, you know, gosh, it was, I don't know how we're even talking about this anymore. Now that there's ultrasounds and things that people can realize, you know, it's, it sounds like when Roe v. Wade was implemented, it was, they were successful in narrating the idea that, you know, a child was just tissue or whatever. And we know much better than that. Now we know that life begins at conception. And this is something that, we need to look at it as a gift, and that's that's where we we really get it wrong in our culture, and that's where we men and women in the pro life movement really need to continue to exemplify the fact that life is a gift, and that we are given these gifts as an opportunity to improve our lives and the lives of everyone around us. And gosh, whenever we cut off those opportunities, we're just missing something so special. And everybody seems to be searching for something in life. We're just we're seeking all the time, and we're always feeling so empty in our culture we say, well, why am I so miserable? Or why can't I find happiness? Well, it's it's being offered to you right here. And we're not taking it because we think that the world has something better to offer us. But what could be better than something so beautiful than a life? And so our job is to model how beautiful it is to raise children, even when it's hard, and how beautiful it is to be a, married to someone, even when it's hard. That's another thing. It's just so, it's surprising that People are even getting married in, in the culture that we're, we're living in. It's, it's somewhat surprising to me as a deacon. I do a lot of weddings at St. Cecilia. It doesn't seem like something that people would even want to do anymore because they're making this commitment. And so just for us, for us as Catholics to continue to, to model that for others is, is our most beautiful job.
0: All right, and uh, you know, you brought up a lot of things. I can tell you that there's probably many, but the two of the more famous conversion stories I'm aware of in the pro-life movement. The one I already mentioned, Abby Johnson, right, the author of Unplanned, and her conversion to the pro-life movement was based in large part upon her seeing an abortion when there was an ultrasound machine related, and she could see the child, the fetus, and she could tell that that was a person by what was happening on that ultrasound machine. And the other one, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, if people don't no, he was an early, what if not the first big abortionist in this country when he was very involved in making the Roe v. Wade case come back in nineteen seventy-three. And this was before the ultrasound machine. And then in the late seventies when the ultrasound machine, you know, came around, whenever that was in the seventies, and he did an abortion with an ultrasound machine and he saw what he was doing. That was the biggest cause in his conversion. And he became pro-life and he regretted greatly what he did to make Roe v. Wade happen. Great book called The Hand of God. I can recommend that he wrote. And uh, probably about the time that this podcast is coming out, there's a movie called Roe v. Wade that will be released around that time that tells in part the story of, of his conversion, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, in addition to the books that he wrote. So those machines have had a big part in helping people realize the life that's in the womb. And then you mentioned the beauty of life. A lot of times when people get pregnant, they think something went wrong, right? Something went wrong. I got pregnant somehow. Whereas the reality is that if you got pregnant, that means that something went right. That's what's supposed to happen when you engage in the marital act. So to see it as a gift, right? And to see that life as a gift and try to discern, okay, am I in a situation where I can raise this child or do I need to place this child for adoption, which is another beautiful choice. These are the choices we will be thinking of if we see it as a gift and not that something went wrong somehow.
1: You know, what concerns me though is, you know, as much talking as we do on social media about this issue and, you know, Because the instinct can be, well, we need to make it more apparent to people what's actually happening, and we and we post more things, and you know. But it's it concerns me that people just like we tune each other out. We don't even listen. So if I post something on social media that says this is a baby or whatever, like, are people really hearing that, or are they just saying, there goes that pro life person again, saying whatever they're gonna say? And it seems like we're just getting lost in the language of it. And how do we combat that? We have to combat it with our lives. We have to combat it with our authentic witness as husbands and fathers and as families.
0: I love those words that you just said there. That's absolutely true. It it totally starts with the way we are living our lives. It totally starts with how we're treating or how we act as a man in this world, as a husband or a father, or even if you're not a husband and father, obviously. You know, if you're a priest, if you're a single person, whatever your role is in life, the way you're treating women, the way you're treating uh, those around you, that is going to speak volumes as to whether we are living in a culture of life or one that supports more the culture of death. That is always going to be number one. Well, thank you for talking with us today about the role of men in the pro-life movement. Hopefully we've learned a lot. We can get some men off the sidelines and involved in helping support the cause for life. So thanks for spending time with us today.
1: Thank you, Bob, for the time. It's been great talking to you. God bless.
0: And I want to thank all our viewers and listeners for tuning in on this episode of our Being Pro life series. Head to the website to view more resources talked about in this episode at www.catholicaoc.org slash being-pro-life. Thank you again for joining us today. I look forward to being with you next time.